Good morning. Just translating a little of what David said, tell people to come for the food. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good to say it, but, you know, just said it. Um, I don't know if you remember last time I spoke, what I spoke about. Um, we talked about love. And after... A few weeks and it's and it's actually good that I have time in between almost a month usually that I get to think and think through um, the last time I preached and I actually have been thinking about the fact that it may have sounded and I don't know if it did if it did or not but it may have sounded a little like, oh, I don't know the word for that uh, in English. If it's just, oh, like, how sweet. You talk about love. You know, how we have to love each other. How we have to love our neighbors. How we have to, how we, how we have to love everyone. So it's, it, it may have sounded a little, oh, sweet. How cute. But it actually wasn't. It wasn't really. Um, if you actually remember what I preached about and how hard it is to love and, and, and all that it takes from us and who we are meant to love, it's not sweet at all. It's not, oh, at all. It's quite the opposite. It's really hard. And as I was preparing for this week, and then again, as I said, every time that I preach, I know that, okay, um, we are by the end of February, so I'll only preach by the end of March again. So I, I have time to start thinking about that. And there are a few things, and actually the process that I go through is, with a time, I start kind of, I know what I meant to say, and then it goes building up until, you know, it's ready. And, uh, but this time, I have to say that it was quite the same, um, but there was a, a difference. One thing that I don't know if you remember uh, that Chris spoke, Chris Wigren, um, also known as my boss, <laughs> uh, the international director for ACM, uh, he said, is that one of the things that are always say and he especially always say is that what we need today in Europe are people or missionaries that are uh, rising a prophetic voice and what that means he always explained because it may get a little awkward because we're using that word and it's a tough word it may mean completely different things depending on who you're talking to but it actually quite very simple is preach the Bible and what's in it that's it. It's being prophetic. You don't have to be saying, well, I know this about your life. I know that about your life. Or the Holy Spirit told me what is going to happen with you. Uh, it's not that. It's just preach the Bible and what is in it. It's already prophetic enough. And actually, if we go to the Old Testament and we see what the prophets did, it was exactly that. They would get a piece of scripture and say, you see, that's how you're living. That's what God said about that. That's where you're going because, you know, it's written. So actually, what happened was that, and it's quite very interesting. And with the Reformation, uh, something interesting happened also. Because they realized that, that it's really tough standing up here and speaking to you. Because every time, um, and, and, and I've worked in the corporate world with lecturing to companies and all, and there's always one question that is risen when you stand up in front of a crowd to a company or whatever, and you're speaking, there is a question that every, you know, everyone that would be a little, um, well, when you say something, it's hard and people say, I don't agree with him because they don't want to agree because you were speaking about then most of the time, they would say, who is he again? 
you know, what, what are, where is his CV? Let me, let me check if he can be speaking about that. If he can say this, uh, what is his, uh, uh, who authorized him? What, in who authority he speaks about that? So if I start talking about psychology today, you would probably say, hmm, does he have any training on psychology? Or he just read a couple of books and now thinks that he can talk about that? <laughs> because a lot of people actually do such thing. But what God called us to do, and the reformers, they actually realized that. Um, and that's what actually the prophets they did, was stick to the word. Stick to the Bible. Because then... If someone asks you, in who authority you speak that, you can say, it's not me speaking. It's your Bible. Open it. Read it. You see? It's there. It's not me. It's God's Word. So, um, in this morning, and as we've prayed before, and Ashley prayed, Stephen prayed, David prayed, it's that the Holy Spirit may come and speak to your heart. Through the Word of God. And so that's why today we're going to be reading a lot. I'm going to be trying to say as little as I can. That was my part, <laughs> this introduction. For one reason, I've been fighting. Um, and that's, that's what um, I meant when I say, well, the process is pretty much like that. This time I felt it was different, but it actually wasn't. Because what happened was I knew what I, I, I was supposed to preach about, um, but I didn't want to. And that's, that's, that's the hard part, because there are good pieces in the Bible that everyone would love to stand up and preach about that, because God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not die, but have eternal life. Everyone would love to, you know, Preach about that, talk about that, tell that to your neighbor. But there are other pieces that are tough. They are not easy at all. So it takes a lot, even in our days today, to be preaching about that. So I would like you to, inv to invite you to think. Um, today we're going to be doing kind of a duality. Because actually, if we look to the scriptures, many times it shows us that there are two in opposition, two things in opposition, two attitudes, two people in opposition. So it's a very uh, easy way to teach kids. <laughs> and that's basically what God sees when he looks at us. He says, like, they're just kids. Let me teach them the basics like opposition. This is good. This is bad. There are two kind of people, two kind of <laughs> attitude, because then it's easy, it's clear. So the first two kind of things that I would like to present you this morning is that the Bible tells us that there are two kind of trees. Matthew 7. And we're going to be walking through Matthew, 1 Corinthians and John. In Philippians <laughs> this morning. Matthew 7, verse 15 to 20 says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles or thistles? Thistles, good. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. <sighs> okay, basically, the idea, you probably got it, just reviewing. If you're not bearing fruit, 
you're going to be thrown in the fire. Because there are two kinds of trees, only two kinds of trees. God doesn't see, oh, there is one that is giving fruit and another is almost there. Almost there means you're not, you're going to be thrown in the fire. So there's black and white. You're giving fruit, you're not giving fruit. Or you may give fruit, but it says also that either your fruit is good or it's bad. There's no in between. When you, when you go to the supermarket and you buy that fruit that you're craving for, and then you, you, know, you open, you cut it, and you put in your mouth, you know if it's good or if it's bad. If you repent to buy it, if you say like, mm, it's not good, I don't want to, you know, you, you're even mad at yourself because you're actually, okay, let me buy this mango. And then you go, you get home, you get it ready. And then you, when you put it in your mouth and you're, if you're disappointed, you may actually just throw it all <laughs> to the trash because you're so mad because you're expecting for something. You're, you had this memory of that taste of that sweetness. And whenever you put in your mouth and it's not that, it's just wrong. It's a mango, but it, it's just wrong. So there is only two kinds of fruits. Good fruit, bad fruit. And there are two kinds of trees. Trees that are bearing fruit, trees that are not bearing fruit. So actually, we can say oh, three kinds of trees then. One that is not bearing fruit. And then the kind that is bearing fruit, there are actually two different kinds of one that is bearing good fruit and another is bearing bad fruit. The thing is, out of those three, only the ones that are bearing good fruit are going to be kept. And why is that? And, and we were talking about that uh, before at home and kind of Andressa was grown in a, a little farm and I had this experience even being a city boy. Um, I had the experience to live one year in a farm and I actually understand the concept that, okay, if you are just, if you just have trees in your backyard, you, you won't mind. But if you were actually, what you're doing is you're growing fruit. That's your work. That's what you do. Um, if you go in your, in your yard and you have a tree, there's not bearing fruit or it's not bearing good fruit. You will take this out. For one simple reason, first one, it's, it's occupying a space of another tree that could be bearing good fruit. As simple as that. So you would take this out and plant another one in there and hope that that, that one now will bear good fruit because it's the space. You just have an amount of space. And I have learned that, you know, with the technology in farming, what they've been trying to do with the years is just kind of how can I produce more with the space that I have? Because basically there's no more land to be discovered, at least for now that we know. So you kind of have to do take the most out of what you got and land is not cheap. So you're not going to say like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this part that I have. So we'll just buy another land and another and another. It's not like that. Not everybody wants to sell their land. So you just have to take the most of, out of what you got. So basically, you're just trying to have all trees bearing good fruit. That's it. That's, that's what you're aiming for. And then there's a second reason. The second reason is that that tree is not only occupying a space and doing nothing, but it's actually stealing the nutrients from the ground from the others. So it's actually not only not giving good fruit, but it's actually keeping the others from giving better fruit sometimes. Because it's stealing the nutrients, but it's giving nothing back. So you will take that tree down and plant another one. And that's what Jesus said. Those are Jesus' words. And he's saying that, and you might say, but Marcus, okay, I got it. But he is saying here about the prophets. He's saying about the teachers, not about the average Christian. So I'm okay. If I'm not bearing fruit, I'm good. You are the one who have to bear fruit because you are the one standing there teaching. Uh, not that fast. I'll invite you to look at 1 Corinthians with me. <laughs> 1 Corinthians. 
chapter 2. Verse 14 and 15, he says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. I want to take this part of judgment because you may think that this part here may sound a little judgmental. And in our world today, this is bad. Don't be judgmental. You're just being judgmental to people. You're being, what's the word? Um, You're having prejudice. This is just prejudice. You should not judge. But actually, here is not even really a matter of much of a judgment. It's common sense, as I was speaking earlier. The fruit, the, 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 the tree is not bearing good fruit. It's just there. It's not, it's not judging. As I said, if you get a fruit, and um, even Laura, Laura loves raspberries, blueberries, but if she gets one that isn't really good, she would make faces. She's not judging. She's not judging, you know, the tree. She's not judging even the fruit. She, she just knows. She puts in her mouth and it's just like, what is that? It's just obvious. It's just there. And actually... In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and actually the book of 1 Corinthians, you should read it. It's very, it can be very judgmental, <laughs> so very against our time. Because he talks about judgment a lot. So he starts even in chapter 2, as we read, saying that the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Because actually, what he's meaning here is that because you have the Holy Spirit, when you see things, you just know What's wrong? Because the Spirit of God moves inside of us and just tells there, there, there's something odd about it. There's something wrong about it. We just know it. We just know it itself. So that's when you move forward to chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians. And you can actually find two kind of people in church. And that's when it starts getting a little tough. Because then we were just talking about bearing fruit. And then it's, you may say, well, Marcus, it's not really um, clear. So what is the fruit? What is not the fruit? You know, you may think that this is not, but I think that it is. Or um, I may think that it is, but it's not. And, you know, so it's, it's not very clear. You know, it's a, a dark place. But it's not as dark as you wished. It was. And when I say you wished, it's because if it was easy, everybody here, even I, would (laughs) wish that it was easier. And it wasn't really clear because then we could be moving. As I said last time about love, I don't know if you remember that I said that, that love is so hard that we try to keep people out. Do you remember that I said that? So we try to narrow down who we really have to love. And what Jesus did was quite the opposite, saying that we need to love even our enemies. So he goes the other direction. So here's the same. When we, we think about bearing fruit and being fruitful and living the Christian life, we would wish that it was kind of blurry and dark because then it would be easier for us, you know, to go around that. But it's not. It's very clear. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 6 to 13, Paul says that your boasting is not good. Boasting? Is that, is that it? Is that how pronounced? Okay. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little... Again. Yeast. Yeast. Okay. I would get that right. Yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast. So that you may be a new unleavened batch. As you really are for Christ, our Passover lamb 
has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened. Un that, that's a hard word for a non-English speaker. Okay, you got it, bread. <laughs> of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would need to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or is slanderer, a drunkard, swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Expelled. Wow. I can tell about Brazil. I haven't seen a church expelling anyone for many years. And if you use that word sometime, it's like, we need to expel. You would probably be the one expelled if you just say that. Because we are living in a world that you have to accept. We have to love it. You should not judge. You don't know what they've been through. So how come? How dare you? But actually, if you go just to the beginning of chapter 5 of Corinthians, what was going on was exactly that. They were misunderstanding exactly what I said about, you know, preached about last time. They were misunderstanding love. By saying, well, okay, we have to love even our enemies. So now we tolerate among ourselves people that are doing whatever they want. And actually, in the beginning of chapter 5, he starts talking about you even tolerate people taking their father's wife as their wife. Not even people from out of the church accept that, but you are doing it just because, you know, you say, well, let's love. We have to love. So you just accepting everything. Even things that people from the world wouldn't accept, you are accepting. And you should not do it. Verse 13, expel the wicked person from among you. And he's actually saying that there are two kind of people in church. There are Christians. And there are people who claim to be Christians. So basically, even us here as not a big community. We probably have people among us who claim to be Christians. And that's it. Hopefully, most of us, we really are Christians. Uh, the biggest part, we wish and we hope that even if you are really not, you're just claiming that you become, there's, there is a room for you. But it may have people that are only claiming to be Christians, but they're really not. And we can know. And we can know because as Jesus said, we can see the fruit. We can see what is coming out from that life. And Jesus said that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So if you go to a tree and you see there is good fruit in it, that's a good tree. That's it. That's just as obvious as that. Because, but there are people who are claiming to be bearing good fruit. But if you stick around enough, and what I mean enough is that sometimes people hide and, and there, there's maybe, maybe, I'm just saying, maybe why a few people, they don't really like small communities like here, like we are. They prefer to go to churches with thousands of people because then they can sneak in and out every Sunday. And it's easier to claim that they are Christians. It's easier. Because then if you talk to maybe the other 
999 people about that person and you say, what do you know about, the, about him or about her? They, what they will answer is, I see him in church every Sunday. But what else? And people might know some like, oh, I know what his, he does for a living. I know he's married or she's married to him or to her. And, and there he goes. But the only shallow things. So it's easier. It's easier to claim that you're a Christian uh, when people are not really close. The same way, it's easy when you go, and, and in Brazil, it's very common. Uh, uh, you go to, you have um, vegetable and fruit fairs, open fairs that, you know, the producers, they come and the, the city, um, the city hall, they, they close like a street and they come, they put their, their I forgot that their tents uh, around and they sell their fruits and their vegetables. And every time you're going, you know, coming by, they will always say that their pineapple is the sweetest. They will say, hey, you see my pineapple? It's the sweetest you're going to find here. There's no pineapple like mine. But if you're just standing there and looking at the pineapple, you may actually not say anything about that. And, and if it, there's another tent right next to it also selling pineapples, you might not even be able to tell the difference. And you'll say, well, but which, which one is yours? <laughs> because I want to, okay, I want to buy this pineapple they're promising me, but which one is yours? That one or this one? Because I can't tell the difference until you really are close to it. And actually, uh, the, using the pineapple, I, was, I wasn't even thinking about that, but it's a good thing. Because... When you get close to a pineapple and it's ready and it's sweet, you can actually smell, you know, the sweetness of it. It, it has a smell, the sweet smell that you know it's sweet, you know it's ready. But if you're not that close, you can tell. So you need to get closer. So that's maybe why some people, they prefer going to those huge churches. You know, it's easy. It's like going to a concert. With the upside that it's for free, you don't have to pay for it. Because they're not going to give money to church. Come on. They, they, they might even get some card empty, and but go to the front <coughs> and drop it in there. You may think that it doesn't happen, but it does. I've seen that. Andresa is a pastor's daughter. She may tell you that sometimes you find envelopes empty in the offerings. Yes. Because people, they say, yeah, okay, everybody's is going. I have to claim that I'm a Christian. No one will know that that was my envelope. So just dropping there. And when someone says, come on, people, there was an empty envelope. <gasps> How come someone did that? <sighs> so there are actually people around us. They're claiming to be Christians, but they're not. And what do I say? Why do I say that? So we start pointing fingers. No, that's not it. But just that we are careful and we have to be careful. Because sometimes we get so cozy, you know, in church that we just say, we're all Christians. So just trust each other in such a way that we open doors to things that we shouldn't. So moving to chapter 6, Paul keeps saying, verse 8 to 11, Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who have sex with men. This is probably the most difficult verse to be preached in our time. And I'm preaching about it. Why? Because he's saying like, but you cannot judge. But okay, so if I'm Christian, but I'm, 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 I do something that is sexually moral, I'm, I do something that can be considered idolater, or, or I commit adultery, or, or this or that. So it's saying that I'm not going to be receiving the kingdom of God, but I'm Christian. 
let me just tell you that maybe you're not. Because just remembering, just backing up a little, Jesus said that you might know the tree by the fruit. So if you're bearing apples, you're probably an apple tree. You're probably, you're, you're not a mango tree. Let, let me just, if you're, if, you, if you're driving, and it's good because in Brazil, we don't see a lot of apple trees. We see a lot around here. It was the first time in my life that I actually saw that close. And when I saw an apple tree, even I, I knew, oh, there's an apple tree. I was not expecting to see a mango in it. And, but in Brazil, it's the opposite. You, you're just driving, like if you're in Rio, you'll see mango trees on the streets of the, the, the city. If you park your car, you may come back and have a mango splashed in your windshield. You're not gonna be expecting to see an apple splashed in your windshield. If you see an apple, that was someone from an apartment building. It wasn't from the tree. Let me just tell you that. It may sound a little ridiculous and funny and all, but it's obvious, isn't it? It's, it's even funny. But it is awkward how we, when we come to Christian life, we treat in a different way. We try to excuse even ourselves by saying, well, you know, that was just, I'm a mango tree, but that was just a wee apple. That's okay, I'm, I'm still an, a mango tree. It was just a mistake, you know, one branch that gave an apple. It's not possible. And that's why Paul is saying that. He's not saying that, oh, you will lose your salvation. Or he's just saying that, you know, if you know someone who is living like that, let me just tell you, they're not Christians. It doesn't matter if the person claims to be a Christian. It doesn't matter if the person goes to church every Sunday, even if the person is Blaine, I'm not talking about Aaron. He's a nice guy. But just an, as an example, it doesn't matter what the person is doing in church, even preaching. If you go through that tree and you see an apple, that's an apple tree. You may not want to believe that because you're expecting for more. Because you actually are doing what we, I was preaching last time, like you were loving that person. So you really, you want that person to be good. You want that person to know Jesus and to walk with him and to be transformed. But let's, let's just be honest. And be honest to yourself. And so when it comes to that, there are two attitudes towards sin. And it was very interesting because Andressa got home uh, from bird table the other day and she was saying uh, that Linda was speaking about shame and actually there there are two different attitudes towards sin one can be guilt slash shame slash remorse and the other one is repentance those are completely completely different things wanted to show you that. Let's go to Matthew 27. And we will see how guilt or shame or remorse consume whoever is feeling that. And let me tell you that if you're feeling guilt or shame or remorse for whatever in your life, it will consume you to death. Matthew 27, verse 1 to 5. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. He was already arrested. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. 
just to be honest, if we forget all the rest of the story and we just read that, we'll say, you see, I, I, can, I can even see here, thinking, if I think politically, that Judas wasn't really betraying Jesus. Really. Have you ever realized that? He probably had a plan. He said, like, I'll hand him over. I'll get some funding for our movement. And whenever he's arrested, no one will condemn him. He's God. Come on. He's not going to be condemned. They're not going to be able to find anything wrong with him. I've been walking with this guy for three years. I am not able to tell whatever he's done wrong. So they're not going to be able to condemn him. So I'll, I'll hand him over. I'll get some funding for our movement. And now so everybody will be able to see how amazing he is. Because he was arrested, but he wasn't condemned. He probably had a plan. He had it all figured out. He said, like, amazing. I'll be the best apostle ever. And because it's saying here that when Judas, verse 3, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. So when he heard, okay, Jesus was condemned, he felt remorse. He was like, what? No, I shouldn't have done it. And tried to return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief of priests and the elders. And he's actually sad. I have sinned. That's amazing. He realized he sinned. Not only he realized, but he even said it. He said, I've sinned. For I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. That's your problem. You were the one who did it. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself out of the remorse he was feeling and out of the responsibility and the shame and the guilt he was feeling guilt shame remorse will consume you to death but then you may come to a point that you say but i recognize my sin judas did also Okay, but I find myself guilty. I say, I tell people, like, I'm guilty for that. You know, I know that I did wrong. Judas also did that. But I feel remorse. I'm ashamed. Judas also did that. But it only took him to hang himself in a tree. And why do I point that out? Because you may actually have already said, I have sinned. Yeah, I'm ashamed of what I did. Yes, I did wrong. But the point is, Judas did that, but he didn't change anything. Because that's not the attitude that God has asked us to have. It's not only recognizing our mistakes, saying, well, I did this wrong. Yes, I'm ashamed of this that I did in my past. Or yes, I'm guilt by doing this. It's not only that. It's not only that. But there is an attitude of repentance that the Lord is asking us. And what's the difference? The difference between this attitude and repentance is that if you go and you think about Peter, and we're going to be talking about that just a little further on, but just have a quick. Peter also, he denied Jesus, not only one time, not two times. But three times. And you know what's amazing? That actually, Jesus told him he was going to do it. And he still did it. Because he might have come to that point that he said, like, I'm going to deny Jesus. And then he would be reminded that, okay, Jesus said that you would deny him. And then he would say, yes, I know him. 
Because Jesus told me that I would deny him and that changed me and now I didn't really deny him. But even, even though he knew, he denied. Not only one, not only two, but three times. So every time he said like, okay, I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not going to deny Jesus. I'm not. And then someone comes and said, like, isn't he the one who was walking with him? His friend, his Paul? No, I'm not. Oh, one time. Okay, I have two other chances. Second time. Third time. He was broken. But the difference was... What he was feeling wasn't shame, guilt, or remorse, was repentance. And the difference between those three and repentance is that repentance brings us to the feet of Jesus, brings us to the cross where Jesus paid it all and we are made free from ourselves that so now we can bear fruit that now we can bear good fruit. Because if we try ourselves, if we call ourselves Christians, if we are just claiming to be Christians, it is impossible to bear good fruit. Because the difference between one tree and the other, it's in its DNA. So it's just impossible. As I said, as ridiculous and funny as, it's impossible for a mango tree to bear apples. And the opposite is also impossible. Because it's in, it's, it's in its DNA. So how have you been living? How is your life? What you're pointing at? Philippians chapter 3. Chapter three it will show us there are only two kinds of things in life. Things there. And that's one of my favorite words in English. Because I've learned American English, and so this word's not used. So in, in British English, it's the word rubbish. I think it's a funny, it has a funny sound, and doesn't really sound like rubbish. I think that, you know, rubbish should be something fun, and I don't know, it's just me. You grew up listening to it, so it's, for you it's just rubbish. But for me, like the sound of the word, it's, it's even kind of funny. The first time that I heard it, like rubbish, hmm, interesting adjective to something. Um, but what is that? And then when I noticed what it is, I was kind of disappointed because I thought it was, oh, you know, it should be something like a fun word for something that is not really good. But, you know, like a funny, fun word for that. It's not. It's just rubbish. But there are two kinds of things. There are rubbish and there are Christ. Whatever isn't Christ is just rubbish. There's no other possibility. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 to 8, Paul says, like, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he starts saying about himself, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, flawless. I was the guy. I was the one. I'm the man, Americans would say. I don't know how you would put that here. But... You're the one. And then he keeps saying, but whatever were gains to me in flesh as a person, as a human, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider then rubbish that I may gain Christ. In Portuguese, the translation is amazing. You, you'll laugh to that. And it's not a good word to say in church, but it's in the Bible, so I'll say it, at least in the Portuguese. I consider them poop. <laughs> No, I'm not saying this one. 
I consider them poop. <laughs> because rubbish can be something that, okay, let's recycle. No, no, there's no recycling for that. We just flush down the toilet and hope never to see it again. <laughs> that's, that's the concept behind this, really. If you go to the word, to the, the original word, um, it is actually, the, 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 the formation is like dog waste, so waste that you would give to the dogs, it would leave to the dogs. But actually, there is, well, the way it's used here is not even that, it's even worse. It's like something that is actually of no use at all. That is just like waste, waste, that's you know, not one way to save it or to use it somehow. No, it's just waste. <laughs> Poop. <laughs> So, actually, what Paul is saying that if it's not Christ, it's just rubbish. Everything, it doesn't matter. It may even sound good. But if you're not doing it, if you're not living it, if it's not bringing glory to Christ, it's just rubbish. It's just you trying to bear good fruit, but it's not it may look like good fruit, but it's not. It's just you trying to force and bear yourself good fruit. But if you don't have the DNA, and if it's not be grown in you by the Holy Spirit, it's not good fruit. It's just rubbish. So why aren't we bearing fruit like we should? Because Jesus said that in John 15, verse 16, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So why aren't we, why aren't you bearing fruit like you should? One thing I found out not many years ago was about one thing called intimidation. Intimidation in church. Intimidation in our Christian life. And let me just tell you a little about that. I'm not going to be preaching about that. Maybe next time. So I'm not only doing the previously, but now I'm doing like <laughs> next week. That's what you're going to get. But... The thing is that most time you don't even notice you're suffering intimidation. And you think it will come from the devil. It, you think that it will come from obvious places, from your enemy, from your oppositor, oppositor, from whatever. But it can actually come from places you would never expect, you would never say people that are close to you, people that even care about you, and they really do. And what they are doing, they are doing because they are caring about you, and they think, oh, let me just, you know, I don't want Andressa to get hurt. I don't want her to be, you know, misled. I don't want, so I act in a way that I think that I'm protecting. I think that I'm, you know, putting defenses around her, but I might be just intimidating her. Intimidating in the sense that, she won't feel that she actually is able to do what God called her to do. That she has to keep moving forward and using her gifts. And I'm using that as an example. By willing to protect someone, we might come to a point that you're actually intimidating them that they won't use or grow their gifts or use their gifts or do what God is calling them to do. Matthew 16. And then I'll go to that scene that I spoke about. And we are getting to the end. Matthew 16, 22, 23. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. 
You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was trying to intimidate Jesus. And he said, like, no, 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 he was not trying to intimidate. He was just saying, no, it's not going to happen to you. I'm not going to let this happen. Uh, uh, you are the almighty God, so you know, it will not happen to you. But actually, without even noticing what Peter was doing was intimidating Jesus. He was being, as Jesus said, he was being a stumbling block. Matthew 16. And Peter himself faced intimidation. It wasn't only Peter who intimidated someone. He actually faced intimidation. And that was the scene that we spoke about in John 18. And it's funny to see because in, only in John 18, we have two different scenes, very different. And the men will understand probably better than women, but they're in Gethsemane. Jesus was praying. They were all together. Jesus said, you have, you have swords? And Peter said, huh, I have mine. I'll protect you, Jesus. And then the soldiers come. And they come with swords. They come with all they had. And they said, we're here for Jesus. And then Peter said, he could have been intimidated. A lot of people. They had... They only had two swords. And that, I think that, he, he, that, that was pointed out in the Bible just to show like, okay, it's, it's pretty much like saying, uh, okay, the army is coming here to pick David up, but I have a gun. <laughs> really? You want to get yourself killed? It's just it because, you know, that, like, you're talking about the army coming. And that was pretty much it. He had, they had a couple of swords. If he started battling, it would, he wouldn't last a minute. He would be killed. But he wasn't intimidated by that. Even with all that. They were in the dark in Gethsemane. A lot of guys come. Torches and swords and shields and all. But he wasn't intimidated by that. He got his sword and he cut the ear off. <coughs> then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it. And struck the high priest servant, cutting off his right ear. But if we move forward, verse 15, we will see that now he is just hanging around. Jesus was arrested. He, he was not able to do much. So Jesus is arrested. He is at the podium or the courtyard of the high priest's house. Just trying to, you know, what's going on? What are they doing to Jesus? Kind of just being around there. Okay, let me just try to hear something. If I can get some information that I can bring to people, to all the rest of our people. Then verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because his disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. So here, here is the interesting thing. There are two disciples. One, he knew the high priest and the high priest knew him. So the high priest probably knew that he was Jesus' follower. And he actually entered the house where Jesus was arrested. And he was in there. So if someone pointed like, oh, isn't he his follower? He would have said, yeah. I'm, I'm here just to see how Jesus is doing. And he was okay, even being inside. Peter was just outside. He was even outside the house. And he was just around simple people, around the people. And then the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant God on duty there, uh, brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. So one of Jesus' disciples, who everybody knew who was his disciple, that was inside, came outside and said to the servant, I'm going to bring this man in, okay? 
I was inside. I know the man. I know your boss. So I'm just bringing him in. And then she looked at Peter. Aren't you one of his disciples too? So she knew that the other guy was Jesus' disciple. And she was asking Peter, aren't you one of his disciples too? What was Peter's answer? No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just around. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. He was not intimidated by guns and guns and mighty and power and violence. He was not intimidated by that. But he was intimidated by a servant girl walking around just asking him, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, 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 I'm not. So intimidation doesn't mean that there will be mighty and power and violence involved. It may actually drive you. Peter was the kind of guy that actually it probably made him grow. And that's what he did. He got his sword, cut ears and oh, here I am. But whenever it was no violence, no really danger, no. And then he was just, you know, hanging around like, aren't you one of his disciples? That kind of intimidation just drove him away. And that's what our enemies wants to happen. He wants to intimidate us so we won't bear fruit. Because what happened when a tree bears fruits? And I'm not talking about, okay, if you go in the woods and a tree bear fruits, what happens? That fruit will get to a point that that will fall on the ground. And whenever it falls, a new tree may be born from that. So the enemy, he wants to steal every fruit from you. He doesn't want you to bear fruit. But God wants you to bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit? I want to pray with you. Let me close your eyes and... If someone walks by you at this point in your life, what kind of fruit will they see? What kind of fruit will they be able to taste? Is that going to be good fruit or a bad fruit? Are they going to be able to actually see any fruit in your life? Or all you've been producing lately is just rubbish. You've been living for things that are not bringing glory to Christ and His church, but just living out rubbish. God, we, we know that You called us to bear fruit and fruit that will last. That's what Jesus said. That's your promise that you have chosen us to do it. And I know that I might not be bearing as much fruit as I should. And I don't want to give any excuses. Because excuses won't help me to bear fruit. It will probably just bring more guilt, shame, remorse. But what I do, I just repent from everything that I do in my life that is rubbish that is not bringing glory to you. <clears throat> For everything that I've been thinking, listening, doing, um, that is not bringing glory to you. 
I don't want to claim to be a Christian. I want to be one. And your worry promises that if someone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Because you made us new. When you took all of our sins with you in the cross and you died for it. But that could not hold you and then you resurrected and with your life, you gave us life, new life, a new DNA, so we could be turned into trees that bear good fruit, not by our strength, not by our will, but by your Holy Spirit living within us. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Change me. Don't let me be intimidated by anything in myself or outside or any thoughts or any ideas or that will hold my or hold me back from bearing fruit for Jesus. Because I actually do consider everything as lost. I consider them rubbish when compared to Christ and all he did for me. I just want to give you a few moments that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in your heart and you have this this moment with God right now I do not know you I do not know your life really but he does and the Holy Spirit is here God is here and when he looks at you, what does he see? You cannot lie to him. He just sees it. Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be transformed? I'm not judging if you're just trying and pushing and trying to be a Christian and claiming to be a Christian. That's okay. But you don't have to. You can be. You can be. From today on, you can be. You can stop feeling the guilt, the remorse, the shame. You can stop feeling that. If you just repent, if you just bring all of that to the cross. I'd like to invite you to come to your knees if you want. I haven't really, I haven't thought about that. I haven't programmed that just to let you know, but I just feel that God is leading us to that right now. If you just want to come to your knees.
David. Can you pray for us? Yeah. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the, the clarity of it, Father. Thank you for the challenge that is in your word, Father. Thank you that there are no gray spaces with you, Lord. And Father, I pray that I and all of us, Lord, would be determined to identify the areas in our lives that are not bearing fruit, Father. The areas in our lives that your word says they're rubbish. The things that we run after, Lord, that are rubbish. The things that we prioritize that in the light of eternity are just inane trivialities, Lord, that have no merit and no value, Father. Will you show us by your Holy Spirit? Lord, will you empower us to be ruthless and to clear out, Lord, and to make room for you, for your spirit, for your kingdom? May we bear fruit and may we no longer look at the tree and make excuses for the fruit that is incompatible with you, Lord. May it be cut off and removed. And may we be a sweet fragrance to those who pass by. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.